Well, this morning we turn in our Bibles to the book of John, to the Gospel of John. And so if you have your Bibles, your copies of God's Word, I invite you to open them there with me. John chapter 1, if you've been around for a while, you know that we have just finished recently a series, a brief series, on the Lord's Prayer. And this morning we return to our normal practice, our usual practice of studying books of the Bible. And whenever I start a new book of the Bible, of course there's a lot of thinking and prayer and discussion that goes into choosing that book of the Bible. This was chosen many weeks and months ago. But whenever I start a new book of the Bible, I get curious in terms of where we've been. And so curiosity this past week drove me to look in my files. I've been here 13 years at Ascension and I was curious how we're doing in uh, walking through the scriptures. I can tell you this, there's 66 books in the Bible. We've got a long way to go. And so I'm a good year, you know, 20 years away from retirement. And so uh, we we got time. But in addition to series that we've done in Advent and Lent and the Lord's Prayer and the Life of David, etc., we have studied 23 books of the Bible in their entirety, which is Pretty awesome. Ten Old Testament books, 13 New Testament books. And so today, we jump into book number 24 here at Ascension. And before I read our passage for today, just settle in. I know I usually get you to stand for the reading of God's Word, and I'll do that, but not for a few minutes, because I want to spend a few minutes, even before you hear the first words from John's pen or quill, I want to talk about the book, and I want to introduce the book to you. As most of you know, the book of John is one of four historical counts of the life of Jesus. It's likely the last historical account of the four that were written. It's written by John, a disciple of Jesus, one of the closest to Jesus, one of that inner circle. Beyond that, it is one of the most beloved books in the entire Scriptures. It contains some of the most memorized verses and clearest explanations of the gospel, right? Most famously, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him might not perish but have everlasting life. And the gospel of John also contains some of the most profound and tender words of Jesus that are only recorded here in this gospel Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. I go to my Father's house to prepare a place for you. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. All these wonderful declarations of who Jesus is. All these wonderful proclamations of His promises for us. And this is one of the reasons why the Gospel of John, why many of you, if you were converted to Christ later in life, you were encouraged to read the Gospel of John first. And maybe you're discipling someone and you're reading through the Gospel of John with them because of the clarity it brings to God's story and to who Jesus is. But the Gospel of John is not just for beginners. It's not just for new believers. One commentator makes this great statement. He says that the Gospel of John is a pool that is safe enough for a child to wade in and deep enough for an elephant 
to drown in. Forgive me for comparing you all to elephants and forgiving me for applying that we're going to drown for the next weeks to come. But simply put, there is depth to the book of John. There is depth in John's presentation of Jesus. You see, John's gospel stands apart from the other three gospel accounts that we have, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John seems to be less concerned about chronicling Jesus' life, though he does do that, and he's more interested in making a case for Jesus' identity. And as a result, John skips the family tree that Matthew goes through. John skips the birth narrative that Luke spends time on. In fact, John skips Jesus' childhood altogether. It's likely that John, being the last gospel written, was hearing the most chatter, heretical chatter, about who Jesus was. Because heresies already at this point were circulating, muddying the waters about who Jesus said he was and what he came to do. And so John speaks into this. And he does so with no parables, no talk of the Lord's Supper, and yet there is an organization and an argument here that Jesus was like no other. A man full of signs and wonders, a man who was more than a man, a man who was better than Moses, a man who came before all before him. So let's dive in with that brief introduction and get started this morning. If you're willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 is where we begin this morning. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Listen as I read. This is God's holy Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. I don't know if anyone is familiar with the acronym FORD, F-O-R-D. Let me give a little context for that acronym. It's a tool uh, that's often used to speak to people for the first time. It's a conversation tool. There's all sorts of kinds of these tools. But FORD encourages one to begin with the family when you're meeting someone new. Are you married? How long have you been married? You have kids? What are their ages? Where did you grow up? Are you from around here? Are you from somewhere else? And then encourages to go to the O, their occupation. Well, what do you do for a living? Where did you go to school for that? How did you get interested in that? Then you go to the R, which is recreation. What kind of stuff do you do when you're not working? Do you like to read? Are you outdoorsy? Do you like sports? And then finally, D, people's dreams. What are your hopes for life? What's your legacy? What's your worldview? Are you religious? You see, we ask questions 
in order to get to know someone. That's how it works with us. As we come to God's Word this morning, we come to God's revelation. You see, with God, He reveals what He wants to reveal about Himself. So we don't need to ask questions as much as we simply need to listen. And so we first look around our world and creation declares, Psalm 19 says, the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of His hands. So much so, the Bible says, Paul told the Roman church in Romans 1, that men are without excuse. That's not enough. And so God specifically reveals Himself through this written word, through these historical documents, chronicling not just the history of an ancient people, but the appearance of a man named Jesus. John wants us to know this Jesus. It's John's entire aim in life, and it's the reason he writes this account. It's the purpose. He states it at the end of this book in John 20, verse 31. I write these things that you may believe, and by believing, have life in His name. And so John dives right into the deep end with the first verse of the first chapter. And so this morning, we begin with a question. A question we ask only because the answer is here. Who is Jesus? Now, I know most of you here this morning, I know what you think about Jesus. Maybe you're asking, haven't we settled this? Haven't we settled who Jesus is? No, we haven't. No matter where you are this morning in your understanding of Jesus, We all need clarity. You see, we have the world's Jesus, the Jesus that appears on Newsweek from time to time, particularly around this time of year, the Jesus that's spoken about from time to time by people in the world. That Jesus, of course, is defined in a a variety of ways. The first word that that came to mind when I thought of the world's Jesus was mush. A mushy Jesus. We kind of make him and morph him into whatever we want him to be. And then there's the Jesus of the religious world, right? Which is that Jesus is all over the place. We have the major world religions which acknowledge most of them that Jesus did exist, but they say that Jesus was a good man, a great teacher, but nothing more. We have those who are religious who claim to be closer to us. They may even claim to be Christians. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. And they say Jesus is the brother of Lucifer. And then Jehovah's Witnesses, they say Jesus is a God-like creature. That's the Jesus of the religious world. And then we have the Christian Jesus. Our Jesus. And the word that came to mind here is simply forgetfulness. Because I think so many of us suffer from not seeing Jesus clearly and not living our lives 
as if he exists and if his, as, as if he is who he said he is. We are so often practical atheists. At times living as if he isn't alive, sitting at God's right hand, as if he isn't in this room right now, right now by his Spirit, and in us, abiding in us. And so, who is Jesus? We need to know who Jesus is. We need to press in to Jesus. And so, in this beginning of John's gospel, in a section that is known as the prologue, which we'll be in for the next several weeks, verses 1 through 18 is called the prologue, John begins to set forth a theology of Jesus. And one commentator called this prologue the foyer to the book. We're going to be in the foyer for a few weeks as we look at many of these themes that John will introduce and later unpack in the rest of his gospel. So verses 1 through 5, three simple but profound truths in hopes that we will see the real Jesus this morning. The first one is this, before there was time, Jesus was. It's the first thing John wants to communicate to us. Before there was time, Jesus was. Three words start off this gospel account. In the beginning. Now what do you think of when you think of those words? Like me, probably many of you, don't go to this passage. We go to Genesis 1.1, the beginning of the Scriptures, the beginning of the revelation of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Communicating to us that before anything was, God was. And John is intentionally, intentionally taking his readers back to a time before time to establish the truth that Jesus of Nazareth the one whom they had just seen crucified, the one whom they had just seen rise from the dead and ascend into heaven, that Jesus was there at the beginning of time. You see, in the beginning, God created how? Through His Word. He spoke and it was. And so His Word is power. His Word is Revelation. His Word is a person. Jesus is the Word. And John is tapping into two different mindsets here as he begins this gospel account of who Jesus is. First, he is tapping into the, the Jewish understanding of the Word. The Word in, Jew, in the Jewish mindset was a concept that was very familiar to them from the Old Testament. God's Word was connected to creation. Psalm 33, 6, By the Word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their hosts. The Word was connected to revelation. Isaiah 9.8, The Lord has sent a Word against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel. And the Word in the Old Testament was connected to deliverance. Psalm 107, verse 20, He sent out His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. And so for the Jewish hearer, as he hears, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, 
The Word of God was His powerful self-expression, which manifested itself in creation, in revelation, and in the hand of deliverance over and over again in the life of God's people. But John also seems to be building a bridge to those who hear him who aren't Jews and don't have that background. Many of you know that the English word here translates a Greek word, logos, a term that was widely and diversely used in the first century Greek context. In fact, centuries earlier, way back in the 6th century B.C., that's before Christ, the Greek philosopher Heraclitus spoke of a divine reason, a divine logic which held everything together in our world amidst a world that was constantly changing. And what he called this divine reason and this divine logic is the Logos. And so John proclaims here to the Jew that God's self-disclosure is summed up in a person. He is Jesus. And John proclaims to the Gentile, to those who are not Jews, the principle of order behind everything in our world has a name. And His name is Jesus. Jesus is the final word. Jesus is God's ultimate self-disclosure. So much so that John will say later in chapter 14, verse 9, that Jesus will say later, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. But John is not only declaring the deity of Jesus of Nazareth here, but he is also giving us a glimpse into the mystery of God and God's own self-revelation. How is he doing that? Well, he says Jesus was with God. In other words, Jesus was there at the beginning, before the beginning, but Jesus was existing as a separate person. And yet, that person was, was God. How can this be? Well, this is the doctrine of the Trinity that we have come to know and to understand and to see all over the pages of Scripture. Three persons equal in power and glory and yet distinct in person. John hints at it here. Jesus is God, has always been God, and will forever be God. Now let's just stop for a second, take our breath. Why is this important? We could think about applying this in a lot of different ways. But the way that particularly struck me this week as I was studying, the one that has significant relevance for us, is summed up, I think, in this statement. God has always been like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus because God has always been Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, let me let one preacher, the old preacher William Barclay, explain. Let me read this quote. He says this, If the Word 
was with God before time began, if God's Word is part of the eternal scheme of things, it means that God was always like Jesus. Sometimes we tend to think of God as just and holy and stern and angry, and we tend to think that something that Jesus did changed God's anger into love and altered God's attitude to men. But the New Testament knows nothing of that idea. The whole New Testament tells us, and this passage of John especially tells us, that God has always been like Jesus. So the gentle and lowly one, the one who ate with sinners, who was patient with the failings of his followers, he is God. He has always been God. He is the God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. His priorities are Yahweh's priorities and vice versa. This is our God. And it brings together the unity of the Scriptures and the beauty of who God is. Before there was time, Jesus was. Know this Jesus and worship Him. That's the first truth this morning that I want to focus our attention on. And the second is this, as we move on in our passage. Everything you see, Jesus made. Everything you see, Jesus made. Made Verses 3 and 4, the beginning of verse 4, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. Now that's a kind of a strangely worded sentence, isn't it? John is using a common ancient grammatical tool to add punctuation to the first statement. That's why he says, without Him was not anything made that was made. As we just focused on the word, Word, let's here hone in on this word, life. It's one of John's themes. In fact, John will use the word life over 35 times in his gospel, way more than any other gospel uses that word life. Because John is eager to communicate to his hearers that Jesus is the life giver in every sense of the word. Jesus, the Word spoken, brings forth the Spirit who gives breath, who gives life. The same Hebrew word that's translated as Spirit is translated as breath. It even sounds breathy. It's the word ruach. That life that Jesus brings is first physical. Right? Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all that is. He is the Word that spoke this world into existence. He is the one who holds it together by the Word of His power, the Apostle says. And so what does that mean? It means that humanity is designed according to His reality. It means that truth is fixed and a reflection of His character. And all these things have profound implications on our existence. Jesus is not some outside observer. So we don't have the right to redefine our world, His world. It's 
His design. He is the author. He is the painter. He is the conductor. And this is why, brothers and sisters, Christians firmly fly against the cultural tide and movement of our day and age. Particularly when it comes to the physical. Our bodies and our lives. But the life that Jesus brings, of course, is more than just physical. It's spiritual. And so Paul, in speaking of Jesus' resurrection, writes this in 1 Corinthians 15.45, The first man became a living being, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And so Jesus, the author of creation, the one who was there at the beginning and before time, has come to recreate, to breathe into existence new creations born not of dust, but born of the Spirit. And so Jesus will declare in this Gospel account, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. And so to dead souls, He speaks life, resurrection, in order that one might live life to the fullest, John 10.10 says. So everything you see, Jesus made. Before there was time, Jesus was. And then finally, and this is where we'll close this morning, all that you need, Jesus is. So the last thing that John communicates here in these first five verses, all that you need, Jesus, is sufficient salvation, satisfaction in life. The last word or the last theme that John introduces here in these first few verses, a theme that he will return to again and again in the gospel, is that of light. Not too long ago, we studied the book of 1 John and that letter written by the apostle, and we saw John's interest, right, in this concept of light. We can't live without light. One professor says this, without light there is no vision, there is no view of reality, there is no confident journeying, there is no growth, there is no health, there is no life. And so Jesus has come to be this light. And what does light do? I don't know that we need to spend a lot of time on this. We've talked about this from time to time in different contexts. First John being just one of the many. But let me close with three things that light does. Number one, light reveals, right? There's a contrast made here by the Apostle John. And the contrast is, while light is spoken of twice, so is darkness. And so if we go back to Genesis 1 where John took our minds with those three words in the beginning, if we go back into the void of darkness, into nothingness, Jesus brings light. He reveals. He brings into existence reality. John is not merely speaking about darkness as the absence of light. He is saying that into the active evil of the world, His presence, Jesus' presence exposes them. He'll say this in John chapter 3, the light is coming to the world and the people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works 
be exposed. We're going to unpack that later in several weeks. The Word shows things as they really are. It reveals their end. And it also points to a better way. Which is the second thing light does. Light guides. Right? Light reveals, light guides. Let me throw some passages at you. 2 Corinthians 4.6 For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Psalm 119, that familiar passage, that familiar verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. John will say later in this Gospel, Jesus will say later in John's Gospel in John 8, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We follow Jesus because He knows the way of life, because He is the way of life. And that brings us to the last thing light does. Light burns. Light burns. What came to mind for me is my boyhood and fun with magnifying glass in the sunlight, burning paper, burning anything I could find with the intensity of the light as that light gets magnified. Right? The intensity of light has the power to destroy, the power to both resist attempts to extinguish it and to actively remove whatever is standing in His way. And brothers and sisters, we need this reminder from the Apostle John. We need this simple reminder. Because you know, in the first century that John wrote, that was not a world of roses and rainbows. Our world is dark. We've talked about that. The first century was dark as well. Brothers and sisters, back then and us here today, we, many of us, live in anxiety and in fear, wondering, will the darkness overcome the light? And John confidently declares here, after Jesus' death and resurrection, that it won't happen. It won't happen in our world. It won't happen in your lives. Just to put the finest point on it, whatever darkness you are experiencing now, in your mind, in your body, in your lives, it won't win. Because greater is He who is in you than He that is in the world. And so light burns. Praise God that light burns. All that you need, Jesus is. So this is how John begins us with this kind of mini theological treatise about Jesus as God, as Creator, as part of the Trinity. And because of that, He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy to show us the way the light that leads in the darkness, the light that will never go out. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beginning week in a very familiar book to so many of us. I pray that that familiarity might not rob us 
of the freshness, of the life that these words are, of the life that is behind these words. For Jesus, You, the light of the world, You are alive. And You sit at God's right hand, ruling and reigning, and You will return one day to take us all to Yourself, to make all things new, to make all things right. We long for that day. We pray for that day. But we thank You for the sustaining grace that comes through these reminders, through these promises of who You are. Give us boldness to stand firm in them. Give us grace to confidently walk in them. Lord God, we believe. Help our unbelief, we pray. All of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.